Uh, good morning uh, to you all on this uh, very, very warm uh, Sunday morning. Uh, special welcome if you're visiting or if you're here for the first time. Uh, it's great to have you with us, or if you're watching online for the first time, uh, it's great to have you with us uh, online too. Um, as I say, if you are new or if you're visiting, uh, please do grab either uh, Neil or myself after the service. Uh, say hello. It'd be great to get to know you uh, a, little bit, uh, a little bit better today. However, before we start the service uh, formally this morning, let's just take a moment uh, to still our hearts, put down uh, the distractions, uh, put aside the heat that we're feeling, uh, and just take a moment to quiet our hearts and just be mindful of the fact that we come this morning uh, together to worship the one true living God. So let's just take a moment of silence and I'll pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that you have gathered us together here uh, this morning. Thank you that you are the one true living God. Father, I pray that uh, by your spirit as we journey through the service this morning, I pray that you would speak to each one of us powerfully in our hearts. And might we know uh, the depths from which you have rescued us. And the joy of the new life you have given to us. And might this morning, our songs, our prayers, as we meditate and reflect on your word, might that all rise before you as a pleasing aroma in the throne room in heaven. Have your way in our hearts this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Paul, as he writes uh, the letter to the churches in Rome, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's a lifetime of meditation inside that one verse, isn't there? There is no condemnation because the condemnation we deserve has been taken by the Lord Jesus we lived the life that we should have lived and then he died the death that we deserve in our place. So that we can indeed be brought into a living relationship with our Heavenly Father. I'm going to hand over now to Caroline. I was going to ask uh, uh, anyone here, uh, first of all, who is thankful for our missionaries who go out and serve the Lord in this way? I certainly am. <laughs> Uh, who, in their heart of hearts, uh, actually are quite thankful that they're not a missionary? Mm. Well, um, the Lord says that he has particular roles for us. And uh, he gives us uh, so many gifts. And we often have more than one important role. But it might be that we are a missionary. We might be a teacher. We might be uh, a parent. We might be a pastor. We might be more than one of those things. But we, it's not if you're a missionary that you are the only one who's going to be telling people about the Lord Jesus. That is something that we all uh, need to do. That's what we're asked to do. It is our joy um, to do that, not only in words, but the, the way we live um, and uh, who we are around our church family, our neighborhood, where we work uh, or whether we're at school. 
We're going to sing a song in a minute. Can we have the, the verses, the first verse up of the song? I just wanted to highlight some things about the song. Because when we sing, we are talking to the Lord. We're praying. We're praising him. Now, the, this songwriter has very clearly put uh, these verses together for our encouragement. Look at this. In the first verse, he's reminding us who God is. He reigns on high, spoke into the darkness, created the light. If we, go, if we just keep going forward, thank you. Who is like him? Never ending in days. He was at the beginning. He is now. He will be forever. And then the, the chorus says, show your power. We need to be reminded that we serve a God like that. Show your power, Lord. Then as we go into the next verse, this is our response to it. We know that the gospel is our salvation, but it also is the salvation for our nation. And it's the power of God. Uh, And this, this last little bit, for our inheritance, our gift from you, Lord, one of our many gifts, is to seek and save the lost through his power, not by our power. And then our chorus says, send your power. We need his power to do this work. We come now to the time, the point in the service where we're readying ourselves to have God's word uh, preached to us. Uh, and we're going to do that through prayer, through song, uh, and having uh, God's word read to us. So let's start uh, with a time of prayer. God speaking through the prophet Hosea says in chapter 6, verse 6, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Our Heavenly Father, we do uh, pray for our own hearts this morning. Father, we pray that uh, by your Spirit, uh, you would be shining a light uh, brightly in those parts of our lives where uh, our affections are uh, for things that other than you. Uh, Father, we are sorry for the times Uh, that uh, our hearts chase after the things of this world. Uh, Forgive us, we pray. And Father, we do thank you that uh, in your loving kindness you have brought us back as we have repented and trusted in you into a living relationship with you. Father, we pray this time, this this morning for our government. Uh, Father, we uh, pray that uh, the process of uh, electing a new leader... Father, we pray that that would be dignified. We pray that uh, uh, that would be honoring um, uh, of you. Father, we pray that uh, your kingdom values would be instilled in the minds and hearts of those who are standing. Father, we pray that uh, their uh, their care would also be for uh, this nation. We pray that uh, uh, you would uh, would appoint uh, the right person uh, for that role. We pray that uh, they would lead this nation. Uh, with wisdom and we pray also for our mission partners this morning thank you so much for John and Abby and we uh, pray for all our other mission partners thank you for Caroline's reminder that uh, we are indeed deeply grateful that there are people that you have called uh, to go to far off places and share the good news of the Lord Jesus Uh, father we uh, pray for them all Uh, we pray for your hand of uh, protection upon them Uh, we pray for boldness might they be uh, bold in proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus And uh, Father, we do pray that uh, uh, in your goodness that you would uh, uh, allow a great and mighty harvest 
uh, to be seen in the places where our mission partners are working. I pray that our hearts here uh, would be faithful toward them in prayer. I pray that our lives would be faithful towards them as we give generously to the mission that you have called them to. And so, Father, help us uh, uh, to be ever mindful of uh, those that you have called to work for you, to partner with you in the gospel in places far from Long Crendon. We also pray pray this morning for parents uh, and uh, for children uh, who are coming to the end of a, of a long and grueling term. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, teachers would be uh, able to enjoy a season of rest. Uh, we pray that uh, children would also uh, be able to, uh, to relax as well, uh, the pressures of exams and uh, homeworks uh, behind them. And we pray that there would be a real sense of joy and unity in households. Uh, we pray that uh, uh, parents would be keen to uh, encourage their children in the Lord Jesus, and we pray that, uh, uh, that the children would, uh, would indeed, uh, in your goodness, they would respond. We pray this morning also for lands that are mired in wars, and we pray particularly for Ukraine. We, we pray for all of those people who have been displaced, those who have lost people that they love, and uh, lost homes, lost everything. Father, we pray that um, you would bind up their wounds, uh, you would pour upon them uh, richly uh, your love, and might they know your presence with them. Now, we pray for the leaders as well, Father. We pray uh, for leaders around the world that they would be united in their efforts to restore peace and order. We pray that you would also break into the heart of President Putin, help him to see what he is doing is just so heinous. Draw him back to yourself. And Father, we also pray for uh, those in our midst who are ill, who are uh, suffering in this time. So in a moment of quiet now, uh, let's all just take a moment to uh, remember someone uh, in our fellowship whom we know and love, uh, who is ill and needs uh, the healing power of God to be at work in their lives. And Father, we uh, pray this morning for uh, the reading of your word as uh, Jackie comes uh, to, to read. Father, I pray that she would read with great boldness and with great clarity. I pray for Neil as he unfolds scripture to us this morning. Uh, Might you anoint his lips. You would stir our hearts. You would quicken our minds. Might we be ready uh, to receive what it is that you have to say to us this morning. Help us to be attentive as Neil preaches. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you know, we're reading from Hosea, so you might want to find that. And to give us some context for the passage uh, this morning, Hosea prophesied during 753 to 722 BC. This was during a rebellious time in Israel's history, just before the northern kingdom, Israel, went into exile. Chapters 1 to 3 use Hosea's own marriage as a parable for the relationship between God and Israel. The shocking image is of an an unfaithful wife, as Israel is unfaithful to God. In this morning's reading, chapters 4 to 6, 
the Lord accuses Israel of continual unfaithfulness to him. He calls them to acknowledge their guilt, turn back to him in repentance, and live for him as their God. I'll read a section from chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, and then from 5, 13 to 6, 6. The charge against Israel. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. Hosea chapter 5, starting at verse 13. When Ephraim saw his sickness, and Judah his sores, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help. But he is not able to cure you, not able to heal your sores. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. Then I will return to my lair until they have borne their guilt and seek my face. In their misery, they will earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Thanks, Jackie, for reading. It's good to be back in the building uh, rather than preaching from my office. Let's um, pray as we come to God's word. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding, so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands. For there I find delight. Amen. Well, a newspaper columnist wrote these words um, earlier this year about our outgoing Prime Minister. He wrote, 
like a serially unfaithful husband pleading with his much-betrayed wife for one last chance, a speech he's had plenty of practice at, Boris Johnson is telling anyone prepared to listen that he can change. Don't kick me out of the house. So he begs Tory MPs with their fingers on the trigger of a confidence vote. I will prove to you that I can be a different man. Carries on, even if this sly old leopard sincerely wanted to change his spots, he is incapable of it. He is 57. People of that vintage rarely change. When they do, it's only because they possess the exceptionally high level of personal discipline required for someone to transform their essential nature at a mature age. I'm sure you'll all have your own views about Boris Johnson, but for those of us here this morning who are Christians, we all believe it's possible for anyone to change, don't we? Um, Even people as old as the Prime Minister. But it won't be us trying harder through our own strength but trusting that God can change us on the inside. We're in the middle of a sermon series in the book of Hosea, and last week we we left the story of Hosea buying back his adulterous wife, Gomer, uh, and telling her how she should remain faithful to him. And we were left wondering, well, will she do that? Will, Will she change? Will they end up living happily ever after? Well, it's the last we hear of the couple in this book because the rest of the book focuses on the relationship between God and Israel, which the marriage of Hosea and Gomer is meant to symbolize. Chapter 3 ended with the prophecy in verse 5. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and his blessings in the last days. As we said, that was a prophecy about the coming of the the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the son of David, and a time when the people of Israel would turn back to the Lord. But what will Israel do in the time of Hosea in the 8th century? Will she turn away from her idols? Will she return to the Lord? And what's this got to do with me today? Well, the answer can be found in chapter 6, verse 7. Because there it says, As Adam, or as you read in the footnote there, like human beings, they have broken the covenant. They were unfaithful to me there. Ever since the fall, when the first human beings, Adam and Eve, rejected God's rule over their lives, human beings have been unfaithful to God. That includes his chosen nation, Israel, then. And that includes us in the UK today. Sadly, what was a predominantly Christian country has turned its back on God. And the result is that morally, it is not actually much different from Israel then. As we sang in that last song, we need to pray for our country to to repent, to turn back to God. That's what we were praying for, the National Parliamentary Prayer Breakfast uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it was at that breakfast that, that Sajid Javid, listening to the Pastor Les Isaac preach on the need for integrity in public life and humility in leadership, felt compelled to resign as Health Secretary. A resignation led to many others following suit, 
and uh, the Prime Minister eventually tendering his own resignation. But what does genuine repentance look like? Well, the three aspects we can find in these chapters that we're going to look at this morning. First of all, it means accepting that we are guilty as charged. It means returning to the Lord and asking him to change us. And it means living in his presence and acknowledging him as God. Let's look at the first of those, um, which is um, the depressing one, if you like, accepting we are guilty as charged. The setting of chapter 4, just go back to that for, for a minute, if you've got your Bibles there open. It's like a court scene in which Israel is in the dock and God brings his charges against her. Verse 1 says, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. And he carries on. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. No faithfulness, no, no commitment, no reliability, no, no honesty. There's no love, no heartfelt compassion expressed through actions and words. There is no acknowledgement of God. No understanding of who he really is. No submission to him as the one with the ultimate authority. The one with the sovereign power over their lives. So what is the basis for these accusations? Well, it's basically the way they've been living their lives. In total disregard for God's commandments. Carries on. There is only cursing or taking God's name in vain. There's lying, murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Carries on. Because of this, the land dries up and all who live in it waste away. Beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. The last verse demonstrates the impact of sin on the whole of God's creation. It's quite an accurate description of the moral state of our country and many others today, isn't it? You could say the, well, the Prime Minister sets the tone for our country, which at one level he does, but at another level, the, the country elects the Prime Minister that um, they're comfortable with. And so repeated adultery, even though it demonstrates a lack of trustworthiness, is not seen by many as a serious enough character flaw to disqualify someone from leaving the country. It should not be surprising that when there is no acknowledgement of God in a country, it will lead to moral decline. To acknowledge God is to submit to his authority. Um, it's the authority of our lives. It means to keep his moral commandments. To love God, to be faithful to him, is to want to live a life that pleases him. Um, which again means obedient, being obedient to his commandments. If you don't accept an objective standard of morality established by a higher authority, then how do you, just, do you decide what behavior is acceptable? Well, basically, you just do what feels right, don't you? You, you follow what everybody else is doing. And so it will change from place to place, from, from time to time as people think they are becoming somehow more wise. 
Well, God's standards don't change because they are perfect. They are valid for every human being in every part of the world, in every point in history. The problem comes when people reject God and his commands. And that is the charge being leveled against Israel. It's not um, ignorance, it's deliberate rejection. Look what he goes on to say. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. Knowledge here is knowledge of God as revealed to us through his law, the word. His people have deliberately chosen to reject his word. And when you reject God's word, it leads to worship of something or someone else. And so verse 7, it says there, they exchange their glorious God for something disgraceful. Or in verse 17, Ephraim or Israel is joined to idols. God has made himself known to us through his word and through his son, whose teaching is also included in his word that we have today. The Bible contains all we need to know to know God. It contains all we need to to live a life that is pleasing to him. The problem in this country is that many people have not taken the trouble to see what God's word says because they think, They know better. Even for Christians, we don't know God's word as well as we should. Um, It's the reason we provide resources for parents and home to teach their children, because we know the importance of what God's word says. If we don't have confidence in God's word and its authority, we won't be able to challenge the views of a society that has rejected God. And we'll be vulnerable. We'll start to uh, reinterpret it to say what uh, is not quite so uh, uh, offensive to others. So it doesn't make us feel maybe a bit old-fashioned or bigoted or other accusations that may be thrown at us. Societies change. Leaders change. But God's word never changes because he is perfect. And as the one who made us, he knows what is best for us. There is also here criticism of the, the spiritual leaders of Israel. And as church leaders, we have a big responsibility to teach the word of God faithfully, to do what God wants and not what people want. And for that, we need your prayers. We need to pray for church leaders throughout the country that they will all submit to the authority of God's word. And not just go with the flow of a society which doesn't acknowledge God. Ultimately, we are all guilty of the charges set against us. We don't know God. We don't love God. And we're not faithful to God as we should be. And genuine repentance means accepting our guilt, that we are guilty as charged. And not trying to pretend that we are somehow innocent. Well, secondly, genuine repentance means returning to the Lord and asking him to change us. Recognizing we can't change ourselves. We are powerless to do so. The sin of Israel has so corrupted them that they, they can't see their guilt. 
They can't see their need for God. They are, in the words of chapter 4, verse 16, like a stubborn heifer. The more we turn away from God, the more we don't acknowledge him, the more we become hardened in our sin to the extent we no longer become aware of what we're doing and that it can possibly be wrong. We don't think we need to change. Often it is, as we said last week, when things are going well, that we don't think we, we need God. We'll just try and find solutions to our own problems in our own strength. Have a look over the page at chapter 15, chapter 5, verse 13. There it says, When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his sores, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help. But he's not able to cure you, not able to heal your sores. Israel's mistake was to turn to other kings, to other human armies for their help, instead of the the sovereign God who is in control of all of the armies of the world. How often do we try and sort things out in our own strength, instead of spending more time in prayer asking for God's help? to intervene in our situation. Well, the warning in the passage is that if we carry on in our stubborn, rebellious ways, God will close his ears to us and God will punish us. Verses 14 to 15 show just how much our adulterous ways breaks God's heart. Have a look at verse 14. <clears throat> it says there, For I will be like a lion to Ephraim. Like a great lion to Judah, I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. Then I will return to my lair until they have borne their guilt and seek my face. In their misery, they will earnestly seek me. It's as we accept our guilt and our weakness that we can turn to the Lord and ask him to change us. And so chapter 6 starts with this great encouragement from the speaker. He says, come, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us. We return to the Lord, asking him to change us in ways in which we cannot change ourselves. The first of those is to heal us. When we go our own way, when we ignore the Lord, we will end up spiritually broken. We will end up in need of healing. And that may show itself in different ways. So we may just be spiritually empty. We've tried to find satisfaction in the ways of the world, but it's failed to satisfy. We may be carrying around a load of, of guilt, which is just weighing us down. Some of you may have seen the, uh, the Mo Farah documentary this past week. Uh, it's not that he had anything to be ashamed of. He was an innocent victim of child trafficking. But he felt the guilt of covering up his real background and, and living a lie. Maybe we're experiencing the pain of relationship breakdown and need healing. Whatever the symptoms are, our biggest need for healing is in our relationship with God. 
And he made it possible for that to be healed. As Jesus took the punishment for us, as it says in Isaiah 53, by his wounds we are healed. Secondly, to, to revive us. He'll make us alive once again. Ephesians describes our condition before becoming a Christian as spiritually dead. When you're dead, you can do nothing about it. But God can make us alive in Christ. This evening, Samantha is going to be baptized. And that act of of going under the water and coming back up again symbolizes a dying to the old way of life and rising to new life in Christ as he conquered sin and death through his resurrection. If we are Christians here, then we have been made alive. But how alive are we in our faith? Do we need to return to God? Do we need to ask him to revive us in our spirit? Do we need to ask him to fill us with his spirit? What does revival look like in our own lives? Well, we'll come back to that in a minute. Because the other thing the speaker promises is that God will restore us. On the third day, he will restore us. Which obviously brings to mind the third day when Christ rose again to restore us. But what is that restoration? Well, it's a restoration of a relationship with God. A relationship that's been broken that only God can restore. Last week we saw it in terms of God renewing his wedding vows. Remember what we read there? We read this, God saying, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. Do you remember when Peter denied Jesus three times and Jesus restored him? What was the question that he asked him three times? He said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Well, as we return to the Lord and ask him to change us, he will heal us. He will revive us. He will restore us. But for what purpose? Well, the third aspect of genuine repentance is living in his presence and acknowledging him as God. It says after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Why does Jesus save us? Why does he heal us, revive us, restore us? To live in his presence. What does that mean? It means acknowledging him as Lord over every aspect of our lives. It means rejoicing in his faithful love for us and glorifying him as we are faithful in our love to him. The book of Hosea is about the faithful and the steadfast love of God for us. Just as we know that every morning the sun will rise, even if we can't always see it in this country, so we know the Lord will appear. 
He'll be with us throughout the day in whatever we are doing. Just as we can rely on the spring rains to to water the earth, so we know that God will come to us. He will never neglect us. The sad thing is that unlike God's faithful love, our love is described in verse 4. Have a look at verse 4. It says, like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. And that is hurtful to God. Um, Verse 6, he expresses his anger at our unfaithfulness, at our love that is like the morning mist, disappears. He says, therefore, I cut you in verse 6, I cut you in in verse 5, I cut you in pieces with my prophets, I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. What's he saying here? What does that mean? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. What is he saying? Well, it's something that Jesus quoted. We can find it in the New Testament. Uh, Come with me to Matthew chapter 9. Here Jesus has been to eat the home of Matthew, one of the tax collectors who is called to be one of his uh, disciples. And they were told in verse 10, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What Jesus is saying is that I want those who admit their guilt, who come to me in genuine repentance, to be forgiven, to be restored, and to be revived. I want those who love me sincerely with their hearts. I desire mercy. I desire steadfast love. I'm not interested in those who are self-righteous, who think they're okay because they follow all the rules. In today's terms, he's saying, to be a Christian is not just someone who goes through the motions. It's not somebody who attends church from, from time to time, does the things expected of them. That's no different than the people of Israel bringing their sacrifices and then going off and worshipping other gods. He's saying, I want your heart. I want your steadfast love for me. I want you to live in my presence and acknowledge me as your God. I want to have a relationship with you. What does that look like in everyday, everyday life? Living in God's presence. It was to walk through life with Christ next to you. To experience him as a, a real, living, powerful person. It's to carry the yoke together, except he's really the one carrying the heavy part of it. It means relying on his strength for for everything you do. It means being co-workers in the gospel. It means on a Monday morning when you go to, to school or to work or you're at home, he sees everything you do 
And you're not ashamed because you're living for him. You are relying on him to resist temptation. It means when you have that difficult decision to make, you seek his wisdom and guidance before you do anything. It means you look forward to those times in the day when you can open his word and get to know him more deeply. Those times when you can spend praying with him, speaking to him, sharing what's going on in your life, asking him for his help. It means you are constantly asking him, who is it that you can help and support? And asking him for the gifts and the strength to be able to do that. In short, it's personal revival. As the Christian leader, the American Christian leader Stephen Alford once said, revival is ultimately Christ himself seen, felt, heard, living active, moving in and through his body on earth. God wants us to live with him and for him. So let me leave you with this question to think on. What would it look like for you this week to live in God's presence and to acknowledge him as God? Let's pray. Father God, we are thank- we're thankful for what you've done in our lives. We accept that we are guilty of those charges leveled against us. We don't know you. We don't love you. We're not faithful to you in the way we should be. But thank you that you can change us. We pray for any here this morning who have not experienced that turning back to you and receiving your forgiveness. Lord, we pray they would come to you and ask for that. And Lord, where we have already received it and known the joy of what it means to have a relationship with you restored, we're sorry where we continue to be unfaithful to you. We ask for your forgiveness. And we pray for revival, Lord. We pray you would restore us. We pray that we would be able to live in your presence and know you by us day by day, your constant love, your constant power in our lives. May we experience that in a real way. May we enjoy spending time with you. May we acknowledge you wherever we may be this week. May people see and know that we belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now that does bring us uh, to the end of our service this morning. Uh, If the Lord's spoken to you this morning and uh, you would like someone to pray with you, please do pray with the person that uh, you came to church with uh, this morning or grab Neil, Colin or myself. It be a delight and a privilege uh, to pray with you. Uh, just a reminder uh, for, uh, for us as we chat over tea and coffee afterwards, what was the question uh, that Neil asked us to ponder? Uh, it was this from Hosea 6, 2-3. What will it look like for you to live in God's presence and acknowledge him as God 
this week. So please do chat about that uh, over uh, tea and coffee uh, afterwards. And some words of hope and encouragement for us uh, as we go into the week ahead. Uh, Paul writes to the church in Romans, uh, Romans 15:13. Uh, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen.